0: But about two years ago, I was raped. There's a lot of anger. We're not being manly enough. There are two ideas about safe spaces. My understanding of the world changed. And I felt numb. Are you a man or a mouse? I was alone. I couldn't bring myself to say it. I was lost. All I wanted was to be able to share my experience, what was happening to me with someone. Hey everyone, and welcome once again to Safe Place for Men. This is Thomas Edward, your male survivor, resiliency, and leadership and development coach coming to you from Sacramento, California, of course, on this wonderful Thursday morning. All right. Hope everyone is doing great out there. You know, I know there's a lot of stuff uh, that's been taking place, I'm going to say, in our world, you know, politically, you know, human nature, all these different type of things. Uh, but I just want you to know that there's a place, like I said, that you need to know that you are cared for, a place that you are loved, and there's a place that you are safe, and that's here at Safe Place for Men. And I know a lot of guys are are reporting, like man, you know, with all the COVID and stuff, but people are feeling, you know, very isolated. And just to let you know that that's. That's normal. (laughs) And so uh, it's not that you're abnormal or anything. It's just that you're experiencing what happens when we're in a situation um, where we have we call it social distancing. But, you know, it's the physical distancing. And that's something that's really important. Um, You know, touch those different type of things, seeing smiles, face, all that stuff actually releases certain, you know, neurochemicals and transmitters and things in our brain. And so those things are really important. So uh, first of all, just realize if you are feeling a little bit isolated, that's normal, but then do as much as you can to connect. And i always, I'm always advising people to, you know, try and do what I call small emotional deposits into people's lives. And that could be, you know, sending a, a text or, or sending an email. Yeah. My, 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 practice, I guess, is is if I'm thinking about you, uh, then I reach out because I'm thinking about you for a reason. OK, so if it comes up, whatever, you know, people are like, oh, you just sent me a, a text, whatever. And my little text might just say something like, you know, thinking of you and, you know, some some warm thoughts or if we go back to a certain memory and, and share it and send a little pic or something like that. You know, maybe when we were in a restaurant eating some um, chicken knees. <laughs> so the person who's out there, they, they understand what that reference is for. Uh, but yeah, just, just small little things like that. And you'd be surprised what those small little things actually do in the brain, you know, with the dopamine and serotonin uh, release. So those small things are really important. Now, it's interesting, of course, that I'm starting off this way because the question that I was asked, and so I'm going to talk about it a little bit today is, uh, one of the questions someone uh, asked me, they're like, why do you talk so much, you know, about, you know, brain and neuroscience and stuff, you know, uh, for survivors? So let me share with you, and maybe that's what today's topic will will be, we'll answer that question and I'll dive a little bit more into it. But I have found that over the years, I say the 20 years of actually working with male survivors, that when I actually, at least in my coaching sessions, when I introduce the, the neuroscience and kind of how the brain works and what's going on, I noticed that the actual recovery and claiming time for male survivors is quicker. It actually accelerates it. And so uh, you guys often hear me refer to um, putting the logic with the heart together. And so there's something uh, about that when I can understand from a logical perspective and then also connect it with the heart or the emotion that just causes um, I'm going to say our healing to just actually accelerate and move faster. So that's just, you know, from my practical practice over the 20 years. And that's one of the reasons I introduce and talk quite a bit about uh, the neuroscience and, and the brain, because to me it's really important. And it's like when you understand uh, how your brain operates and, and what's going on, it helps you to understand some of the things, you know, like last week we talked a little bit about reenactment. So if you start understanding what's going on in your brain and reenactment and how that deals with what we call, you know, the, the habit-forming neuroscience and stuff, and you get a hold of that, man, when you start working through it, it makes recovery so much easier. And so that's one of the reasons uh, I introduce a lot of the brain or neuroscience Uh, when I'm talking, especially at the conferences and things, right? Because the thing is, uh, you know, when we're doing the workshops and stuff, when you go home, I want you to be able to understand, right, how you're going to use these strategies and how these strategies work. And so if you understand how the brain works, you're just like, oh, so this is why I'm applying this strategy to this, right? It just helps so much. More. Right. And so works really well for, you know, people like sometimes I, I shared with you guys last time when we talked about reenactment. There are some people they come to me and, you know, the therapist is doing um, eye movement desensitization reprocessing and it's not working for them. Right. And I'm like, oh, man, what's going on? Well, if you understand something about brain science and then you understand this person like, well, I have a photographic memory. Oh, we're going to have an issue with that. And so then you can give them other strategies and other avenues to actually help them to move them and accelerate them. And so that's what I and that's what I enjoy uh doing. So that's that's pretty cool. All right. So let me answer this question while we are here. Okay, so I'm just gonna share with you. I'm trying to think, um I don't even should I just call this about the brain? I don't know, big surprises, whatever about the brain. Um but I'm going to just share with you. Yeah, let's just talk about some things about the brain, and maybe this will help you a little bit more. Especially if you're if you're working through stuff, and maybe you feel like you're a little bit hung up, whatever, in a spot. Maybe one of the things that I'm going to talk about will actually help you. All right. So here's the first thing we're, I'm going to say. Have you ever had an issue that you're trying to work on? And you figure that the more that you work on it, the harder that you focus on it, right, the better that it's going to be. Okay. here's the thing. When it comes to the brain, there there are some tasks, I'm going to say, that require more energy. So there's some tasks that are what we call energy intensive. Okay, so it takes more to actually do them than it does the other ones. And what happens is, is these energy intensive tasks they actually use up your brain's limited energy resources, okay? Now, your brain, especially the PFC, and we've talked about the PFC before, which is the prefrontal cortex, okay, relies heavily on, we're going to say energy intensive, okay? So it takes a lot metabolically to run your prefrontal cortex. That's why oftentimes, like when I'm doing my... Uh, my classes because I do leadership development and I'll have like some bagels or some donuts there when people get there in the morning and people, they start complaining like, Oh, I'm trying to lose weight. And you brought donuts and stuff. And so then I'll start out with the class talking about the brain. I says, you know, but the stuff you're getting ready to do here in the class today are going to tax your prefrontal cortex. So guess what? Your brain needs the glucose. Okay. It needs sugar, Now, you don't have to eat the donut. I mean, you could eat an apple or something too, but you can pick your choice. But because it is a high energy intensive, let's just say class, whatever that I'm doing, I understand that that prefrontal cortex is going to need the energy. And that's because energy intensive tasks, things like understanding, you're trying to understand something, um, deciding, recalling. Now, think about this recalling. And so oftentimes when we're working through our issues, all the time when I do a workshop and we get to the part where we're working on disclosing and stuff, when we finish that session, everyone just they're like, oh, I'm just so exhausted. And they just eat. They eat like crazy. That's a good thing that I used to be a chef because the food tastes good, you guys. <laughs> but then they're like, I don't understand why I'm so hungry. And I said, that's because your prefrontal cortex is a high-intensive, okay, high-energy intensive. And so it requires the glucose that we in order to do all that processing, memorizing uh, also, and even inhibiting is a high-intensive energy task. All right, so when the brain becomes fatigued, okay, during these conscious mental tasks that we're doing, we often tend to try and say, well, just focus harder. I mean, you ever have, like, when you were a kid, and so, your parents, you know, you're sitting there and you're trying to study, and your brain's just like, oh man, I just can't take anymore. And they might say to you, well, you just need to work harder. You just need to concentrate harder. Well, actually, <laughs> when your brain is actually fatigued like that, and you're trying to do more conscious mental tasks, it makes it harder. And actually, what it does, it speeds up the process of what we call cognitive degradation. Okay, cognitive degradation. So you're trying to figure out, well, why, why can I get this point? Why can I understand this? Why can I make this decision? And your prefrontal cortex is trying to say to you, look, we're fatigued. We're tired. You need to give us a break. Don't believe this garbage about just focus more and it's going to come because really that's not how it works. So what happens, let me see, I'm trying to think of another analogy. Okay, just think of yourself. You're driving down the street in your car and you're almost on empty. OK, and you see this hill up and you're coming to the hill and you know you don't have that much gas. But what you do is you press on the accelerator, figuring, OK, I'm just going to give it as much as I can so I can get up the hill. You're not going to get up the hill because you don't have enough gas. OK, so <laughs> you're just going to run out of gas, of course, quicker. So then what are some ways when we're talking about this? So better ways to actually work with my brain would be refueling it, of course, as I just told you guys with that. But then understanding that my brain actually has limited capacity. Okay. I don't care what anyone says about, oh, you have unlimited brain power. No, it's not true when it comes to dealing with your PFC. Okay. So if you don't load that thing up, if you don't give it what it needs, the reality is it's going to burn out or burn down. And your understanding, your decision making, those things are going to be even more difficult. for you, so when it comes to both, I'm going to say you know linear problem solving and even nonlinear. You can't focus all the time. You got to give yourself a break, and this is what you'll even notice about your your brain. So oftentimes when I'm I'm coaching and we're working on something, and I and I know that it's PFC intensive. Okay, so then I just tell everyone to take a break, and what we do is we take a break, we go out for a walk, we get some air, we get some snacks. And guess what? It is during those times. And I'm going to say about 90 percent of the time it is during those times that the aha moments click just like that. Why is that? OK, if you understand the brain science, OK, the prefrontal cortex just gets relaxing and stuff. It's just like, you know, conscious and subconscious. Now it has an opportunity to refuel. It's not doing that high intensive if you want to call it energy task. And so now it has a time to relax and actually put the things together. All right, so so that's the first one, right, when we're talking about that. Okay, what's another one? So let me share with you something else when we're talking about the brain. So oftentimes, let's say when guys come to the the workshops, and guys, we know what we've been told, right? We know it's not true, but we still kind of believe it Anyway. So we come to the workshop and, and we know that we're going to have to do work, right? That PFC is going to be working. But we have this thing. Remember, we talk about logic and hardware. you know what? I just don't know how I feel. Ooh, we don't want to go into that. Now, of course, the common belief is, and especially, of course, I'm going to say in our society, Western society, we have this idea that talking about emotions is unhelpful. However, the neuroscience shows exactly the total opposite is true, right? And you can even go check on um, uh, Dr. Matthew Lieberman. He's done, he done some great work on this. What we know is that the value of labeling emotions actually maximizes your cognitive ability. Okay, now remember I just talked about from a prefrontal cortex, right? When we're trying to focus, focus on it so hard and we're fatigued, we're going to get, what did we say? We said cognitive degradation, but guess what? When you label the emotions, now you maximize your cognitive ability, okay? And so it's it, it's interesting, and so what happens is during the workshop, guess what are one of the pieces that, I encourage as we're working through this thing is to label our emotions. Why? So we can get maximized cognitive ability so we can accelerate and move through these issues faster. And so um, from a neuroscience perspective, um, when we're talking about the language, so using that simple language to explicitly, I'm going to say name that emotion um, that's being experienced. What it does is it lowers the limbic, I'm trying to remember what we call this, oh, the limbic system arousal, okay? So just kind of think of that as the brain's um, emotional dashboard. And so in producing, what this does is when we talk about maximizing cognitive ability, so remember we talked about, um, you know, the focus, and laying a little bit off focusing so much, what this does by labeling the emotion, it produces a quieter brain state, so now that means that your PFC, your prefrontal cortex, is now actually able to function better. And so this means that the negative impact of the emotional, I'm going to call it noise, okay, of our cognitive abilities is diluted, it's lesser. And so it becomes more useful to actually. Do that, right? And so then when I'm coaching, okay, and I'm doing the workshops, why am I doing that? I'm doing that to help the client to reduce what's known as the threat response by teaching them to label their emotions correctly. Now, that's really important. We'll talk about that, you know, some other time too, because it's not just about labeling them, but it's also about labeling them correctly. Okay, so guess what's right behind that one? Okay, so labeling emotions. Well, then guess what? Suppressing emotions also isn't useful. Now this is really important for us as survivors remember as we're working through these things because in our modern society they often lead us to believe like we said that suppressing holding on right to the emotion is a useful way of managing them. Okay? Of course in fact, right? Guess what suppression does? Let's go back to the first thing we talked about, focusing and how that works with the PFC, high intensity, right? So guess what suppression does? It uses up a lot of the brain mental energy. So it's costly and it's unhelpful and it's a high intensive. And so it's going to be chewing up a whole bunch of brain cells and brain power. Okay, and so it's unhelpful because then when it comes to maximizing, I'm going to say our cognitive performance so we can actually perform better, it's utilizing more energy. So when we're suppressing the outward expression, now notice I said the outward expression, and that's because when we're talking about the outward expression, we're also using our mind and our whole body. But when we're suppressing that outward expression of an emotion, that's going to be a high intensity task for the brain. Right, so now we're gonna be chewing up our limited PFC energy and resources. And then guess what this does? Okay, we just talked about it before. Once again, this causes the limbic system to become even more aroused. Okay, and so now the opposite is in the opposite effect of what we want now takes place. Right now, here's another thing. I don't know if you know this, but this is from the neuroscience once again, and it, it kind of makes sense, right? But when we're actually suppressing the emotions, this also degrades our ability to actually recall the information. Now, just think about that. That sounds almost like a catch-22, right? So I'm here and I'm sitting here at this workshop because I want to disclose and I want to be able to, to bring, you know, the story and the emotions up to the surface, right, so I can start releasing them. But I suppress and I hold them. And therefore, by doing that, of course, with our PFC and it's going on, what I'm actually doing by suppressing is I'm degrading my ability to actually recall the information that makes me feel so uncomfortable. Woo I'm telling you guys, that hurts just thinking about it because it feels almost like a self-defeating, self-sabotaging Thing. All right. So. Don't suppress those emotions. All right. Here's a here's a here's another thing I kind of want. I'm talking about the, the whole brain stuff here. Now, those of you, of course, that have studied like Maslow's laws and stuff and, you know, the um, hierarchy of needs. There's one often time, and I'm going to say at least when I'm coaching and I'm working with survivors, because you asked me why do I talk about the neuroscience and stuff when I'm coaching. And that is um, having a sense, I'm going to say, of certainty and control is a social need that actually takes place in the brain. I mean, it's very serious. It's something that's neat because this is what happens when we're talking about certainty certainty actually creates a reward response in your brain that actually enables healthy PFC right prefrontal cortex functionality so in other words if there's and you you're trying to figure out you're like man why am i freaking out why am i exhausted Often times when I'm maybe trying to remember stuff and can't remember it. And that's because in the brain, when I have too much ambiguity, too much change, or what's seen as too much risk, it makes me feel uncomfortable and it sets off what we call our primitive alarm bells in that limbic system. Okay. That's one of the reasons, for example, when I'm coaching individuals. And they're just so hung up on, I can't remember every single detail. Okay. The problem is that there is so much ambiguity out here. Okay. Notice what it's doing to our PFC functionality. As opposed to if you're coming, you're working with me, I'm like, okay, so then just let's just work on what we know. Okay. And so what that does is that adds the the certainty. Oh, so guess what that does to, <laughs> to the brain, right? So it's now it's giving me more resources, okay? So now I'm starting to maximize my actual brain performance. And so when we have complex issues and, and situations that arise, the brain will focus actually on what is known, okay? Because it, it just feels better, okay? And so this means when we're trying to work on things, instead of, I'm going to say, focusing so, so much on the problem, we need to make sure that we're focusing attention on the problem, but then also the solution. OK, so we've got to to balance that to get that certainty there. Woo! My goodness, so I've already passed my twenty minutes here, but you can tell I like. You can tell I enjoy talking about talking about this when we're talking about focusing and how coaching and 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 using and and understanding how our brain works and how it can actually accelerate our recovery and reclaiming our life. All right, here's one out, and I'll, I'll I'll end. Okay, I'll try and end with this one because we've passed our time here. Here's one that's really important, and so. And you guys know me. I am a big, I tell you, I try to consciously create my family. Um, so one of the reasons, maybe you might say, hey, Thomas, why is it that, you know, you do these coaching, I'm going to say, workshops? Okay. When we're talking once again about the brain, when we're talking about accelerating our healing, when we're talking about reclaiming our life, here's the reality. Social needs are as much as important as the physical needs, okay? So our social needs are something, um, you know, that people, I'm going to say they tend to underestimate when it comes to maximizing our ability to think, to collaborate effectively, and to actually work through the issues. I see so many guys, okay, so many guys, and this is what they'll say. They're like, yes, you know, I've been working with my my therapists and stuff, but they're like, there's something about when I came to this workshop with 10 other guys and we started working through this stuff, they're like the aha moments are hitting me just like that. And they're like, why is this stuff accelerating so much? I'm like, because when you understand how the brain works, you realize I'm going to say that the social okay, being there in that group is just as important as anything else. So, in fact, you know, our, our behavior is often, of course, is driven significantly um, by a set of very deep-rooted social needs. And one of the social needs is is community, okay? I call it family, community. It's a very deep need. It's been laid down in us, whatever, for thousands of years. And um, I can't remember, I think Matthew Lieberman also did a, a paper on this, but um, I think I remember him talking about uh, four out of the five processes operating in the background when your brain is at rest, actually involve thinking about other people and yourself. You'll often hear the the guys, I remember, you know, when you listen to the um, podcast and you would hear, I think Scotty said this, Mike said this, they're like, yes, yeah, like when I was there with the other guys, I was hearing myself through their story and it was connecting with my story. This is one of the reasons I believe that you have to have That social component, if you're really trying to get what I want to say, not just accelerated healing, but whole healing. And so, in other words, you always hear me say that healing, complete healing takes place in relationship. Why do I say that? Because the brain neural science proves it. All right. woo! I'm getting a little hot in here. I don't know about you guys, even though it's freezing. (laughs) It's freezing outside this morning. This is one of the reasons why I love neuroscience so much. And this is one of the reasons when I'm coaching and I'm working with survivors, I'm using the neuroscience. And so I, I hope that that kind of, you know, uh, answered your, your question that you proposed to me. So, you know, if you're interested in coming to a, a workshop and uh, I don't know, it looks like, you know, things with, with the um, I'm going to say with the virus. I know we're going through the variant that's going around, but it seems like some people are saying whatever the vaccine. So they're saying whatever May, June, if that's when it is, then that's when it is. But I'm really can't wait for us to get back to having the workshops where we can actually be in the same physical proximity because there's so much neuroscience that's taking place when we're there together in proximity and that social all right. So for the individual who asked that question, thank you so much for asking that. I hope that gives you a little bit better idea, like I said, well, coaching what I'm bringing to the table. If you decide you want to coach with me, if you're deciding you want to come to, you know, one of the, the workshops, whatever it is, I'm just kind of sharing with you uh, when I'm coaching, a lot of it's actually coming from the neuroscience And of course, 20 years of experience, but noticing now that we have the neuroscience, it kind of validates the stuff I've been doing over the 20 years. It's like, wow, I've been doing this. And now the research shows why it works, why they're accelerating, why guys are saying these things. All right, guys. So remember, (laughs) once again, remember that you are not alone. Okay, there's 20 plus million of us out there, right? And like I said, man, I, I ugh, man, if we all could be completely whole, it would change the world. I mean, even a lot of the stuff that we're experiencing you know, today in the world politically and stuff is because people have got issues. Yeah, People have got issues. But this is the place where we get to work on them. This is the place where we do it and we're not alone. This is the place where we do it in a safe place. And this is the place where we do it And we know that we are loved. We know that we are cared for. And although that's a difficult word for us at times, you need to know that the other person on the end of this mic, those words are true and they come from my heart. All right, guys, until our next Thursday, be safe.